0: Love, talk, radio. Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda guy. During this year's big game, we gave someone a random act of helpfulness. We crowned a person with the worst commute in SoCal and helped make her commute better with a brand new Honda. But it turns out, lots of you have terrible commutes. Think you've got what it takes to be the worst? We want to hear from you. Go to SoCalHondaDealers.com slash commute and tell us all the boring and annoying details about your terrible drive to work. Who knows? Maybe you'll get a random act of helpfulness and be crowned the new worst commute in SoCal. Progressive presents Get Pumped, inspiration to help you do insurance stuff. Okay,
1: time out. You're going to let your budget be the boss of you? Take control with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay for car insurance and we'll help you find options that fit your budget. Here's some music to get you pumped. I hear your budget laughing at you.
2: Oh, wait, that's just those kids laughing at me.
1: Ignore them!
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage times limited by state law.
1: we
3: I know a lot of you out there can relate because a lot of us out here are still looking up to people that opened doors for us and made it possible for us to do what we do, and without those people, we wouldn't be successful on any planes in life. And uh, with that being said, again, welcome to the show. This is your host, Lamont Patterson, along with my esteemed colleague, Dr. Matthew Anderson.
4: And for some reason... Trying to Eat make you feel up. I'm here. <laughs> you started out with some words of wisdom today, man. That was good. That's good. Yeah, yeah we we, well, we all gotta have somebody to help us out or else we don't get any police. No. Even though
3: even though we think we are doing everything by ourselves and we can handle everything by ourselves and in fact, that's not possible.
1: No,
4: it's not. Sure is it? And that's a good topic for today, since we're talking about recovery. You know, trying to recover from addiction, and that's a nobody does that by themselves.
3: No, and then I'm gonna ask Michelle. Also, can I get a vote? Since you know, last week I announced that I'm running for president. <laughs> uh, you Michelle. Don't 100%.
1: Hi,
2: Michelle. Hundred percent. Hey, how are you?
4: <laughs> so, Michelle, I'm I. I uh, thank you for coming back. Um, for everybody of who's listening, this is Michelle Glasser, and she's uh, an expert in recovery and recovering from addiction. <laughs> and um, why are you laughing? <laughs>
2: I like the word expert. Okay,
4: all right, good. She it is makes definitely me feel an very expert That's good. And so, Michelle, since this is your second visit to our show, I'm going to start off a little differently than usual. What I'd like to do is just give you an opportunity to take a little moment or two and share something that you would like for our audience to know about you um, as relates to your background or as it relates to what we're going to talk about today, which is... Uh, the basic ingredients for a successful recovery. So, what would you what would you like our listeners to know about you right now at this moment?
2: Okay, well, that's a good question. I f- I, I think that in life there's different paths that people take, and I have taken um, a very very long curvy path to get to where I can genuinely say that I'm completely fulfilled with what I do with my life and every aspect of it. Of course, that's taken me. A long, long time, and I feel sometimes I play catch-up a little bit with my life, but in order to get to the place I am today, I had to go through an enormous amount of, you know, back steps to get to the, to be able to keep moving forward. So mm-hmm. I know addiction, recovery, every piece is not an individualized program, and it's for each person to choose what they, what works for you. I mean, there's no cookie-cutter approach to this. For me, I do one thing. For someone else, I can say something else, but had I not been through what I've gone through, there's no way I would be in this field to begin with at all and as passionate about it as I am.
4: So I'm very grateful
2: to be able to give back a little bit.
4: So could you – thank you. And could you tell us just briefly about uh, the center where you work?
2: Yes. Okay, so I work for a company called American Addiction Centers. They have um, facilities, inpatient, outpatient, IOP, um, detoxes all over the United States. It's um, a publicly traded company that is um, really a real hub of who where, you know, if you use that name, basically you know you're going to get some excellent treatment. So I am very grateful to be working for this um, place. I, I fully for support it, and I think it's wonderful.
4: Michelle. Our, uh, our listeners, could you yes. uh, explain what IOP is? Sure. Matthew, I, wanted, so, uh, I wanted to ask
1: the question. you too slow, okay, well, I'll listen you gotta, to both you got to move Matt. back. Tonight.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so IOP stands for intensive outpatient. So what some some people do and some people don't do is if, let's say, you finish a 30-, 60-, 90-day inpatient treatment program, the clinician or the case manager, whomever does discharge planning, is going to refer you to either an intensive outpatient, which normally Is four days a week, about three to four hours a day, and then you get, you know, the drug testing, you go to meetings, and then once, like, six to 12 weeks later, you'll drop down to a, you know, a step-down type of situation for outpatient, which most likely is two to three times a week, and on an outpatient level, some people can stay at that level for, you know, six months to a year, whatever makes you Mm -hmm. feel like you're on solid footing. Okay. Can I, in down, in,
3: can I jump in here? Can I jump in here now with my questions? Is it okay. Yes, you can. This? You can. I hope <laughs> it's a brilliant
4: question. A brilliant
3: question. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant to me. I don't okay. know how it is to you, but it's brilliant okay, no, to me. Well, okay. <laughs>
1: Let's
3: go, but, Michelle. When most people talk about uh, addiction, I just wanted you to kind of break that down a little bit because usually when people say addiction, they immediately go to drugs. But uh, right. in my little uh, kindergarten education, it seemed like people could be addicted to alcohol, cigarettes, uh, food, whatever they little thing mm-hmm. is. Is that possible or is when you oh, speak totally, on addiction totally it's only on drugs?
2: No, 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 definitely not, definitely not. So there's something called process addiction which like well, last time I did this you you thought you had a cough like fine coffee addiction that you thought you just really liked good coffee. So we, like, sort of went into detail about, like, that's not technically an addiction, but there's so many other – you're not going to have someone come into an inpatient substance abuse and alcohol treatment for, let's say, gambling or shopping. Um, food, sugar is definitely an addiction. There's um, just impulsive spending. I mean, there's you can basically be addicted to anything that you do addictively. However, what, like, sort of separates it between an addiction and dependence, let's say, is the actual, like, physical tolerance you have to it and the way it is affecting the rest of your life. So let's say you really, really like gambling and you're at a casino all day and all of a sudden you're gambling away, you know, mortgages of your house and you can't pay rent or you are giving car keys in the middle of a poker game. That's affecting the rest of your life, which can make for serious, serious financial consequences. Henceforth, it doesn't have to just be the drugs that take you down. Anything will take you down is depending on how much you're doing it. But it's how you okay. come back if you can recover.
3: Yeah, you raised an interesting thing there too: de- dependency versus addiction. Right. seem like there seem like there's a thin line right there.
2: Very. It's 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 you know it's not it is a thin line, but it's, it's technically in like the DSM, which is sort of like the like the psychological journal of like a diagnosis, basically. So if someone is physically addicted to heroin, for example, if they were to stop using the heroin or even like an opiate, a painkiller, something like that, their body would actually go into a physical withdrawal, which would require a medication and some sort of supervision at the medical level. If they're uh, detoxing from something like cocaine, there is no physical withdrawal from it, yet it is still a dependence. So there is a very, very fine line pending what the drug and or substance is. Gambling you're not mm-hmm. gonna have a physical withdrawal, but you're gonna pay the consequences for a long time after.
3: Damn, I can't.
4: Get what is water it? Water what's the current if I... he's torturing me, Michelle. Don't even
1: don't <laughs> even go there. Okay.
4: We have this whole thing about what we we both grew up calling it by in the sausage. And I was in my early twenties before I realized oh, it's being God. pronounced yeah. the wrong way. It's Vienna sausage, <laughs> but I didn't know that until okay, it was like twenty-four potato, years old. Okay, potato,
3: potato. Okay, potato. Only people in the South buy in a
4: sausage.
1: I said that until oh, I was twenty-four
4: goodness. years old. Buy in a sausage. I didn't eat it, but I yeah, pronounced it that Yeah, I don't think I say that.
1: <laughs> it's
4: it's well, in it the same nice category. Up. It's sort of like spam, you know. And I don't think you can get addicted uh, to Vienna sausage.
2: Probably not. So
4: I, I have a big question I wanted to ask, and and uh, uh, a couple of them. But this one is: I'm really interested in the subject of who fails at recovery and why you think people fail at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You so want your, I know we're I talking personally? about a lot a high percentage
2: yeah. of people here.
1: <laughs>
2: very, very, very high. Um, the word like right out the gate fail is huge. Like that's, I definitely would definitely not use the word fail because it's like, to me, it's more of like, I don't know, failing sounds like you, you can't do it. You can't come back and you're, you're screwing up constantly. It would be more of like constant relapse or, or uh, the inability to remain sober for any period of time. But if someone thinks they, they're they going to fail at it every time they do it, odds are they're not going to come back from it. So the idea is to keep it like flip it or tweak it to make it a bit more, motivational or inspirational to sort of do so basically like statistically you're talking one out of three people will not be able to get to 60 days sober in an you know at an outpatient level inpatient even so i've had clients that are with me for 30 days and at day 22 they are smuggling in crystal meth or heroin or whatever they can get their hands on so while in a program you could say quote unquote fail at it but the what it comes down to is what you put in is what you'll get out. If you put nothing into this, I promise no one will get anything out of it. You have got to work on it. It's not there's no magic pill, let's say. If if there was, that would be fantastic. I'd be out of a job, but there's no there's no 100% cure, but my hope is that everyone's willing to work a little harder each day to be able to move forward with their life.
1: So, but it's very my- very hard.
3: So, Michelle, what saying- I'm hearing is the people that come in there for, for treatment have to be willing, uh, truly willing mm-hmm. to, to receive the treatment and not just lying to themselves or their parents or loved ones.
2: You know, that's also tough because I've had I've people that sort of, um, they're here because my parents made me come here. I'm here because my husband's making me come yeah. here. I just, I'm just, mm-hmm. i tired, I'm exhausted, I, I don't have any money left, I'm mandated from the legal system. If I stay here for 30 days, then you can write me a letter of completion, and then I can get out of 60 days of jail. I mean, there's always little loopholes that people come to treatment for. However, you know, I have a caseload right now of 15 clients, and maybe three of them have said to me, I'm done, Michelle, I will do whatever you say, just help me. But the other 12 are... I still want to smoke weed. I, you know, I've never tried Molly. I want to try that. And, it, you know, and in front of their parent, they're saying that too. So there's very little regard for it. They think if they stop doing their drug that brought them to treatment, then they can do different drugs. So I won't do heroin anymore, but I could do Molly.
3: How it's like a negotiation tactic. To, yeah, how long does it take you to see through this um, the side, the smoke screen?
2: <laughs> About three seconds. <laughs> it's very easy to see. It's it's very, very easy. They you know what people think they're like super suave at this and you know, I've been I've been where they are so I sort of it just makes no sense to me. If you've walked through the gates of hell with addiction and been able to come out like a rock star, you're gonna be able to call people on their bullshit.
1: So that's <laughs> a blessing
2: good. and a curse for my clients. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> very well stated
4: though. I knew
3: he would like that
4: line. I
3: knew he would just love that.
4: As soon as it came out of your mouth, I thought, he's going to love that one. He's going to love it.
1: (laughs) I've got a lot more where that came from. Well,
4: great minds think alike, Matthew. It must be.
2: It must be. Yes. Mm -hmm.
4: So would you say that most people, the vast majority, arrive in recovery with a lot of resistance and an attitude of maybe I don't belong here and I'm not like these people Mm -hmm. and they're different from me and they're more screwed up than I am kind of thing.
2: Totally. So you have different – it sounds funny. There's almost like a hierarchy of people with, let's say, attachment to their drugs. So if someone is an alcoholic but never touched cocaine or heroin, somehow they're not as bad because alcohol is legal. If you have a cannabis or a weed person – they're, well, it's legal in Colorado, so it's not like I'm shooting up weed. I'm, it's not that bad. Or you have the uh-huh. Coke person who says, well, I never shot up Coke. I never smoked it. I'm only snorting it. Vice for, I mean, mm-hmm. you can even do it heroin on heroin. I'm only snorting it. I'm not shooting it. So it's, it, you know, it's basically minima- minimizing exactly what the point is, which is basically anything that's going to affect any part of your life. I don't care what it is. It could be obsession with collecting dolls made of, you know, that look like pigs. I mean, it could be anything, beanie baby, obsession, all that stuff. If it alters the course of your life and you have consequences for it, you have got to process it and be able to move forward. It makes no difference. So, yes, the biggest one is the alcoholic who doesn't think they're as bad because it's not drugs because that's that's illegal. But it's a tough one. That's a definite tough one.
4: So the three people that you were talking about, three out of 15, who think, okay, I'll do whatever Mm. it takes, did they have a higher possibility of of staying in recovery and and going through the program and then having a a sober – and clean life afterwards, would you say? I mean, that might be an obvious question, but I'm interested.
2: No, no, no. no. It's actually it's gonna be it's funny because it's actually the opposite. So what you are gonna expect me to say is that they're gonna thrive and this they're gonna work their ass off and make this happen. These three are the people that I absolutely call I like nickname them all Captain Recovery. So they come in, you know, I'm gonna do this they're like superhero just a superhero status. I'm going to kick this out, I'm going to do all this, and I'm going to be fantastic. And those people that come out the gate like that are the easiest to fall because they're giving away, oh, I'll okay. help this person with that, that. but they don't work on themselves. The ones that I actually okay. think are the highest success rate are the ones that are resistant because they get their at holy first, shit moment when they're here.
4: They're resistant yeah. at
1: first?
2: It's really very interesting. Very, very, the ones that are resistant and not sure if they actually want to do this, are the ones that have the higher percentage of actually doing it. Okay. Because they find out more about themselves through the process.
3: But I'm not really addicted. I could quit anytime I get ready.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what they all say, but they don't. I know.
4: It's, it's tough. I know. Michelle, would you say that there, when it comes to marijuana, that there's a. Uh, um... Uh, withdrawal from that?
2: Well, there's no physical, there's no physical withdrawal from um, marijuana. But again, it comes down to how much are you using. It, it with any drug, again, same thing. But with weed, especially, there are there's no like, let's say, research studies on the long-term effects of cannabis use because okay. there is no one at this point willing to test it. I guess. But when push comes to shove, I've had an enormous amount of clients that. Their drug of choice is heroin. Their drug of choice is cocaine. But when they leave treatments, the first thing they do is weed. So they'll smoke weed, mm. and then it doesn't do to them what they actually want. So then they do enough weed to lower their inhibitions to get what they want. So weed would be more of like a gateway drug. But for some people, they don't buy it. They won't. They'll just say, Nope, I'm fine. It doesn't do anything. I have anxiety. It helps me with it. Or I need help sleeping, so I'll do it before I go to sleep. But yet they're sitting in front of me in a treatment. So somewhere down the line, it's not you know what what they're using it for is not working. Right. Yeah, it's it's this weed is a tough one for especially for clinicians, because try convincing them they can't do it when all of a sudden it's becoming legal all the time. It's a tough there. It's a tough one right now, especially with younger people.
4: Is there a uh, a trend in the in the professional recovery? community about a point of view about whether or not marijuana should be legalized.
2: I mean, and therapeutically it's better to take like a Switzerland type of stance, be totally neutral. I know some places in Florida that are completely abstinence free from all drugs. And then now all of a sudden they're popping up some places or sober livings or even IOPs that um, are okay with cannabis use that they don't think it's that bad. So all of a sudden, once that gets put into a newspaper or something, all the clients are, well, I want to go here because you can use weed. Mm-hmm. You can smoke weed when you're here. It doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't help to say this one's okay, that's not. Because guess what's going to happen? All of a sudden, they're going to start cutting you know, fentanyl in weed. They'll, they'll, you don't know that it's what you're smoking is exact. oh, it's an herb. But you don't know. You didn't pick it from the ground yourself. So we don't know if it was cut with anything. And with everything going on with heroin being cut with fentanyl, how do you know that there's no fentanyl in the in the weed you're smoking? You don't.
3: No. Yeah. It's it's a well, how, sketchy
2: sketchy subject.
3: Well, how do we know what's in, in any of these drugs or prescribed Nothing, drugs that people not. are taking daily?
2: Hundred percent accurate. Absolutely. It's it's so important, at, especially now, to. Even like a Tylenol, I mean, I had a monster headache all day, found Tylenol, and as I'm taking Tylenol, I'm thinking like, how do I even know there's actually- this is what it is? I become, I become like a bit paranoid about it because you don't know what, what they're made of, but at the same time, you have to trust the process. So I don't want to introduce anything into my body that I will have some effect or counter effect that I can't come back from. You have to be hyper aware so of what, what enters your body.
1: What
4: about nicotine?
2: Yeah, well, nicotine, I've never had a nicotine client, but let me tell you that most treatment centers um, in Florida actually permit smoking because they don't want, they think cutting down everything at one time is really um, too much. However, don't get me wrong. I have I've seen it all, but the people who are in treatment right now that I have are smoking about four times as much as they ever have in their life. We're talking like a carton every 3 days. Because yeah. when you have anxiety and you can't have your drug, you're smoking cigarettes. And then everyone is smoking. So it's the incre- the increase in nicotine level is incredible what I'm seeing. It's the only so why, substance let's say they have to use.
4: Why wouldn't your your uh your center say okay none of that either
2: yeah i my guess is that not many people would come there there that if someone calls and says oh you let you let smoking if they said no i i would say that it would be a nightmare i'm trying to see if we can implement like vapes instead of smoking but not the vapes with the liquid like the e-sticks um that you can charge or something like that because I have clients who did quit smoking before they came, and now they started smoking because they couldn't have their vape. I ended up finding out that the vapes that have liquid, they have the cannabis wax that you can use a vape <laughs> with, with drugs in them. <laughs> so I was like, oh, now I see why you're not allowing that. Um, but, but, I mean, so now they're smoking again. I definitely think the nicotine piece needs to decrease, though, definitely.
3: Well, well you guys I, could I sell always... you guys could you guys could sell the cartridges that you know are loaded with uh, the nicotine. Exactly. Team. That way you yeah. know, they couldn't come in with the cartridges loaded with, you know, the uh, cannabis or the plant <laughs> exactly. like it's tobacco.
2: Right. I listen, I think it's a good side business if nothing else. I I it makes sense to me, but at the same time there has to be a reason it hasn't been implemented, so it's, I can only just bring it to the floor and see what
4: happens. Well, I would love to see some research about the success in recovery for people who, the percentage of, this, of success in recovery for people who are allowed to smoke during their recovery. I'm going to bet that it would show a lower percentage of success for that group of people because it's still the use of a drug that affects One's emotions Mm -hmm. And one's chemistry But I do know that that's like This is like a nuclear subject In the the Recovery community I mean you can start wars with people over
1: Whether or not they should be allowed to smoke that's
4: why I thought I'd bring it up, just to be a little provocative. Yeah. Here. it's you know, a, <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. It's
2: a big subject. No, no, no. It's a, big, it's a big deal to a lot of people, but then once again, it depends what kind of treatment you're in. Because where I am, they have the clinical building and then the residence. So they, tra- you know, they travel by van from the residence to clinical every day. Any other treatment that's, I call it a one-stop shop, where clinical and the residence is at the same facility, you may not be outside as much. So because you're not outside as much, then you're not going to be smoking as much. This year, you're outside there. You know, it's treated more like a sober living IOP with, you know, a full day of of, clinic, of clinical groups. So it's a bit of a different dynamic.
4: So I, I don't remember if we spoke about fentanyl last time we were talking or not, but I know that you mm-hmm. brought it up just a moment ago. Could you talk about it a little bit and what's going on with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, fent- to me, fentanyl is just the absolute scariest thing in the entire world. It's fentanyl, and then also right now in Delray Beach, it's car fentanyl, which at this point, uh, first responders have to put on two pairs of latex gloves to touch a person who potentially overdosed from heroin because if um, a size of uh, one grain of salt touches the skin of the person trying to help them, that could be toxic for the person that's helping them. Hmm. So these wow. dealers are, are cutting it with fentanyl to get an increase in their supply, so they can cut. The, let's say they get a gram of heroin, they can cut it into four little grams if they're cutting it with other things. So their their money is going up, but they're killing off their client. So it makes no sense to me, because if you're killing off your clients, but how, you, then you have to constantly have new clients. Why don't you? I mean, it just it makes no sense. Fentanyl is deadly. It's absolutely deadly, and at this point, if anyone is to put a drug in their body, heroin, coke, anything otherwise, and know that there's a possibility there's fentanyl in it, to me, it's like an unconscious or subconscious death wish
1: because you don't come
2: back from that. You Mm. really don't. It is very scary.
4: Or are deaths going up from it? Around oh here, my goodness, in Delta, so, Del Rey.
2: so much Delray, uh, West Palm Beach And also in New York and Long Island um, I want to say in like the South Shore area There's a huge, huge um, increase in heroin use And there was another, there's another place that was tremendous Like West Virginia and Virginia All of a sudden they're popping up these different states That you just, it's just so sad uh, Baltimore, Maryland, huge, huge in Maryland as well Just awful, awful
4: So, so um, Lamont, you there? If you if you're going to ask a question, I got a giant one here.
3: <laughs> well, you can ask yours, but I was still stuck on the on the um, tobacco thing with that line. Yeah, go it's, back to that. Let's
4: go back to that one
3: first. Dependency versus addiction. Right. Because it kind of seems like it's the same thing, isn't it?
2: It, uh, yes, so that's that, that. Is where like my problem lies with all of it. It's 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 sort of giving this like a mixed message of this is okay, but is, this isn't. And where are the rules and how we know what is okay and what isn't. That's it's it's a, up for discussion. A lot of places I know in Florida, every everywhere you can smoke when you're in treatment. Um, some places in New Jersey, you definitely can't. But again, it has to be where the person's at. I also have people in my caseload that came in smoking, but now they're on the nicotine patch, or the Nicorette gum. So it's a choice. Also, it's highly, highly recommended to stop smoking. However, and they'll give you the Nicorette, they'll give you um, the patch, so they'll help you with anything. Chantix, Chantix, also they're prescribing some people Mm -hmm. that want to stop, you know, slow down. Because nicotine yeah. is like it's just, just as bad as caffeine with the withdrawal. You've got those awful headaches, the increase, um, decrease in metabolism, you're going to gain weight a bit faster, and you're already dealing with a truckload of emotions that if you can cut it a little bit, that that's progress. Mm-hmm.
3: During, during your treatment process, or I guess in your screening process, to bring in a client, uh, in that, do you talk to these potential clients to find out or get into their life, get into their head to see what's troubling them or if they have any things that's going on in their life that causes them to to want to smoke excessive, excessively or uh want to do drugs. Do you get into that at all? Yeah, home?
2: I mean in the well in the admissions process um before they either, you know, even enter treatment, you're dealing with basically an admissions coordinator that's going to read like boilerplate type of assessments but has no clinical background. So they can ask the questions, and then when I know I've been assigned a certain client, before I even meet with the client, I will look into the file and see what they said in the assessment to see which direction I would go or what, where I can sort of dive into a bit to someone you know, you know. I know you're stopping heroin, and we're going to try and wean you off um, your sleep meds, and you'll go straight on, like, melatonin or something, and maybe you'll get the Suboxone. And, oh, you know, the cherry on top is you can't smoke also. For some reason, the second you say you can't smoke cigarettes, that's the breaking point. Uh, no way, I'm out. And people have left over that. And I also have success stories where people actually quit everything. They, they don't drink coffee. They exercise more. And if they're willing to work on the decrease of nicotine level, I have a million things I can help them do for that. But the biggest thing, my job, basically for 30 days, is let's you know, tackle every trauma, every issue that made you use nicotine and drugs in the first place so when you leave you don't feel that you have to go back to that And that's really – it's a lot to take care of in 30 days if you think about it, especially with the detox process. It's a lot, yeah.
4: Well, do people stay longer than that where you are?
2: Yes, definitely. I have a client – I have two clients actually. One's going to be with me 90 days. I have another 60 days. I'm a big proponent of if I can get you to stay for more than 30 days, I'm definitely going to try and do that for you. Um, I think personally 30 days isn't really enough for most people. But at the same time, I know people who have gone to detox and have been sober for 30 years or someone who just went to AA meetings and have been sober for 20 years. It's where that person is at, person is at and their willingness and strength inside to do this. But it can't hurt. Listen, how much can it hurt to be in a controlled environment, getting therapy that you haven't had in years and get rid of all mm-hmm. this stuff that you've been holding on to your whole life? Yeah. To me, it's a, it's a blessing.
4: Well, my stepdaughter, who uh, was addicted to, uh, heroin. She stayed in in recovery for five months, and that's the only thing that uh, she went into recovery a number of times in other situations. But the five month program really, apparently, has made the difference because she's been clean for like twelve to fourteen years now.
2: Wow. So I, I you know cool. I
4: understand you know thirty days is not a very long time when it comes to major change in a person's life.
2: No, absolutely, absolutely. and if you do the heroin, you're talking about at least four days of a detox as well, so they're getting Mm -hmm. the Suboxone, you can't really talk to them, so you have, let's say, your whole first week is shot because of the Suboxone, then the last week is sort of shot because you're trying to get discharge stuff taken care of, so basically you're talking about two weeks worth of high-intensive therapy, and is that enough for 10 years' worth of heroin use? My guess is no, of course it's not. No. Yeah, it's yeah. listen, it's a wonderful thing that people are lucky uh, lucky to have in their life, and it saves a lot of people's lives. I've seen it.
4: You're, you're talking about long-term recovery program, right?
2: Long-term sobriety, yes. Yeah.
1: I uh-huh. think it's
2: it's amazing if it's the right program, because if you have someone miserable for X amount of months, the first thing they're going to want to do when they get out is use. But if you have a oh, legitimate yeah. therapist trying and working hard with you and going along with you on the ride, then, you know, there's nowhere else to go but forward. It's the support system that's behind you that helps you. It's critical. Critical.
4: So I have a question. I know it's going to sound political, but really I'm curious about the, the real answer to this. And the question is – Okay. If we build if we build this giant wall across the southern part of this country, is that going to make any difference whatsoever to drug problems in the country?
1: No. Nope.
2: Definitely not. <laughs> nope.
4: <laughs> and the reason would be. I,
2: no. The reason being that besides the fact that I I absolutely love you know doing what I do in the substance abuse world. Clinically, I'm also a crazy – talking about like at being addicted to television shows, I am obsessed with like drug, Drugs, Inc. and these crime type of TV shows, the documentaries about – the drugs and how they're now getting in to this country and out of this country and all this stuff. And believe it or not, like most of the drugs are not, it's not about this wall. It's not even about this. The, the methods <laughs> and the madness that they get this in is just incredible to me. I mean, there's submarines and, oh, my God. I said this wall, it, please, this wall is a joke in, in terms of drug use. No.
3: We're going I mean, to we're gonna blame ridiculous. it on Mexico for the naive people.
2: Yeah, all right. Yeah, you could do that, but I mean, you're not even getting good drugs out of Mexico. That's not even where the good stuff's from.
3: <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Well, that's good what stuff I'm saying, coming from a lot, yeah, the, a lot of the naive no people sense. think it's Mexico, yeah. but drugs come from <laughs> all over Mexico, the world in this country. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. So,
3: so, the wall so will many not help other, areas.
1: other areas.
2: What? No, I don't even know. I think the only way it'll help is if you just put a bubble around yourself or bring a wall around yourself. Because you're the one who's not, you know, it doesn't matter where the wall is, it'll come in another way. It's the person's motivation to say no when it's when it's handed to them or when they're thinking about using it's going to be that person having the ability, but you know what, I don't need that anymore. I'm going to go do X, Y, or Z, but no thanks kind of thing. It doesn't matter where don't
3: the be, wall
4: is. And don't well, be blaming don't, our military either. I'm not surprised about no, what either one of you said, that's sort of my thinking about it, but I had to ask in case there's somebody out there that you know needed to be schooled on that subject. So, yeah, no. <laughs> is,
2: is there
4: is there any thinking and in, in, in general thinking and recovery community about you know long-term solutions to to drugs, to, you know, to what drugs are doing to so many of us because this is a major epidemic kind of problem.
2: It's. Yeah. Yeah, and it's getting worse, unfortunately. Well, the, I mean, the, the easy, not easy, but if you wanted to, someone with, let's like, say, opiates, I know a lot of people who are on Suboxone maintenance or methadone maintenance, then there's like the Vivitrol shot, which you get it once every four to six weeks, which is an opiate blocker. So even if the person was to do heroin or was to take pills, it would have no effect on them. So. The, the, I guess the school of thought is that if it's an opiate blocker, they won't get high from the opiate. Now, I challenge that with if they know that they can't do opiates because they took a Vivitrol t- shot, but they want to get high, guess what they're going to do? They're going to do a drug that's not an opiate. They're going to do the cocaine, the crystal meth, the Adderall. They're going to do all the stuff that will work on them. So to me, it's a waste unless you're willing to, do, to stop all drugs. So antabuse abuse for alcohol. Guess what they do? They do coke or they stop ants abuse three days before they want to drink. I mean, let's be real. You're that's that's your quick fix, which to me is complete BS. The the biggest thing that you're gonna have to do for long term, unfortunately and fortunately, is self control. You have to be able to say no. It's you have to not listen. I people I know have wanted. Ugh, oh, I could use a drink right now. Ugh, oh, I could use. You know, I mean, I don't know anyone's – Oh, I could use a line of coke, or I can go shoot up. I mean, you don't really hear that that often. However, when there is that high-risk, impulsive type thought, instead of reaching for your dealer's number, walking to the liquor store, whatever you're doing, if you pick up the phone and call someone else that can help you if you've in, you know, put yourself into a community of sober support systems, then guess what? Those people can help you like off the ledge a little bit. But it's about mm-hmm. the person actually doing the work. And that's what people are scared of. Is it's in their control. So what if they screw up? Like the fail thing that you were saying. What if I suck at life sober? What if life is boring sober? What if I have no fun? What do I do with all this free time? You have to be able to answer those questions before I will let my client's discharge. It's it's very, it's a simple pro. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Hi, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Um, I forgot I what I was going to say. I have I have to use my brain when it's working. Um, what yeah. would a family <laughs> do? What would a family do if they have a family member that's in denial? I mean, it's obvious that he has a problem, and you know, this person uh, that used to be very successful, um, hygiene was always up to par, loved clothes, loved life, and all of a sudden, okay. this person's personality then, then 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 went down the tube because he has an addiction, that's not willing to deal with that. What does? How does? How does the family? make this person really, really come to grips that he has a problem and he's not the person that he used to be.
2: Uh, Again, this is where there's like that thin line again. So basically you can go like a pretty aggressive approach would be like an intervention of some sort. I've seen them work. I've also seen them backfire really, really quickly. There's the whole, you know, this is your life situation where you sort of, Put it out there. This is what we are used to seeing, what's going on with you. But when push comes to shove, if no, if that individual is not willing to listen to it, there's absolutely nothing the family member can do except for say, you know what, maybe you need to get into a treatment program. And at that point, if it's really downhill from that, odds are you're going to need an inpatient because the odds of them showing up every day for outpatient is very, very limited. There's no way they'll do that. But it's very hard. It's very hard to convince somebody that there's something wrong with them when they truly, truly believe nothing is. And that's where basically I come in.
3: How do they do an inpatient if the person's in denial?
2: That's what the whole idea is. If you can get the person, I mean, this is how I do it. You know, there's very different, like, visions on this. I think if I can get that person in my office, I can convince them that they need to stay. But... And I've had, listen, addicts routinely are very, very smart, very, very clever, very manipulative. Um, it's just that you don't use it. In, like If you just tweak the direction of your use, basically, you could be a very awesome, intelligent person and be a productive member of society, but something else is going on. And I've said this to uh-huh. every single one of my clients. It doesn't matter when you pick up the drug. My issue is what happened before, the relapse-type behaviors, to end, right. have you use the end result of picking up. Picking up is the end okay. result of relapse behaviors.
4: Okay. So I, I want to make sure before we finish today that you talk a little bit about enabling. Um, if you could <laughs> okay. um, give us sure. uh, your definition of what enabling means, because I have a number of clients that uh, struggle mm-hmm. with that, with, with their own family members, and I'm really interested in if you can talk about it a little bit.
2: Okay, so I mean it's also going to depend, enabling will depend on the the relationship to the person. So with a a kid, so if it's a parent to a child, an enabling situation would be um, that it's that whole – I mean, I always said this in the past. It's the um, like the Barry Manilow, Barry, Barry Manilow song, like I Can't Smile Without You. It's like the codependency theme song, basically. So when you're sad, I'm sad, you will take their problems. I, I'll take this over. I wish you didn't have to deal with it. They give you money. They don't give you the, the consequence the hit the rock bottom that you have to hit to be able to realize that you need help. So an enabling parent, let's say, could – be driving you i've had this actually right now i have a parent who saw his kid being um starting to get dope sick from heroin withdrawal and the mom actually drove him to the dealer's house to pick up the drug because she knew he needed to get it but she didn't want him to drive that's completely enabling or the the parent who gives a hundred dollars and says just go you know go have a good night but don't get messed up and if you do get don't worry i'll take care of it or they get arrested for a dui they, ba- they bail them out. Whatever it is, it's you always. There's no consequence. An enabler gives a person no legit consequence, and sometimes people need that. They need to fall.
1: Enabling is not for parents, I, you know,
4: I have a I have a woman that I've worked with over over a couple of years, and her son is in the early 20s, lives in her house, and he periodically picks up and and goes on binges. And I I've said to her, you know. You wouldn't consider throwing him out. And she said, I could never do that. And my son, yeah. I'm afraid he'd Most, get, I'm yeah. afraid he'd be on the street and he would die. I mean, right.
2: Most people also think that too, yeah.
4: And I've had clients that, who that know
2: their parents. I, I have a client right now, actually, who she was supposed to be with me for 90 days and she's just had it. I want to get out. I want to get out. But she, their parents prepaid for the 90 days. So she's already over 60. They're not going to get refunded. And I said to the mother, "You know what? You need to say if you don't finish 90 days, I'm done. You're done with it. You have got to let her realize that this is it." And the, the child, not the child, the, the the client's answer to me was, "My mom may say that, but she'll never follow through with it. So she can tell me right. she's going to cut me off, but there's no way she will. So I can say whatever I want because she doesn't have the guts to cut me off." I know that she said that, and I know the, what the mom said, and then I know what the end result was, which the mom won't cut her off. I know she won't. So mm-hmm. that they, the person also knows the, that, that it's a bullshit kind of consequence.
4: How does that person ever go into rec- true recovery if they've got a parent that enabling with no meaningful consequences? What, what do you do with that?
1: It, yeah.
4: Unfortunately,
2: it's, it's going to be a trial and error type situation where – I hope, you can hope for the best. I hope this client has gotten as, not as many tools as I've been able to give her, but she also knows there's always a plan B. There's always a plan B. My whole, like, idea of all that is make plan A work. Don't, don't always fall back on that. You don't want to be on, like, this financial leash with your parents all the time where you can't go left because they're not buying it, you know, something like that. It's very hard to be independent and an active drug addict at the same time. Very hard. But sometimes what's wrong you have some, to pull, pull the cord a
3: little bit. What's wrong with some of these super-educated people? Because I have some friends. The mother, the mother was a high school teacher, very educated woman. Her son was actually a, a really good friend of mine who just happens to be deceased now, who graduated from Morehouse University, a brilliant guy, brilliant mind. But his, his addiction was with, with PCP. And his mother actually told me that she would rather her son get high at home than out in the streets and I couldn't understand that coming from a parent period. why would you rather your son get high at all? ultimately right. this drug end up ultimately this drug ended up taking his boy's life because he got in his car high and um, oh, you know gosh. ran it and ran it and ran into a telephone pole. So I, I just never understood that, but this woman told me she would rather her son, you know, get high at home than out in the street somewhere. So she was enabling him big time. Because I'm like, that was just great for me to come she from was a parent.
2: She was scared. She right. was um, from a parent. It honestly, I've heard that like a million, million times. I would rather him get high home because I know where he is. And if he's out, I don't know if what if something happened and I can't, I can't get to him, or he's in an alley by himself, freezing. And I, the parent would let the client get um, get high in the house. She does. I'm not a promoting of it. I'm definitely not promoting it. But at least I know if something happens, I'm here. And I said, but this is, it's sort of a double-edged sword there. Where how do you expect the person to stop if you're cosigning it? You're saying just don't do it out of the house, but it's good here. It gives you no incentive to stop using at all. Especially a PCP. My God, I mean, talk about a hallucinogenic mm. that really will knock you on your ass. Yeah. I and mean, that's scary. Well, have it's an really scary I
4: stuff. Have a, I have an opinion about that kind of parent, and I'm curious about what you'll say about this, Michelle. But I'm, I, I'm of the opinion that that kind of parent that we're talking about right now is ultimately more concerned about themselves and their own well-being mm-hmm. than their child's, and that they don't want to feel bad, so they won't put the child in a bad situation. Uh, they won't have a real consequence because they don't want to deal with their own
1: feelings. And I'm wondering what you think about
2: that. I think that's, it's definitely a valid point. I think there's a lot of different um, methodologies to that. For one, I think that a parent, it may, it it could be like a, because let's say if they're, uh, I'll go cocaine here. So a social norm that, well, you're not going to tell your friends or it's not going to look good on you as a parent if people know that your kid is a cocaine or a heroin addict so you protect them by enabling them so that mm-hmm. no one finds out so it doesn't screw up your reputation mm-hmm. or if god forbid they overdose what i had um, one of my friends clients actually the kid overdosed on i want to say like a like a like a speedball basically and the parent Instead of, um, they did a funeral, a private funeral, and what they ended up doing was the parents donated to, like, the lacrosse team, like, an enormous amount of money, so that, because they said he died of a heart attack. So they were protecting their reputation and honoring their son, who had played lacrosse, with this donation. So it looks like, everyone knew he was a heroin addict, apparently, but the parents just didn't want it to screw up their reputation. And it is, It's, it's a bit selfish, I think, but they're protecting themselves. And at the same time, an addict is an addict, but the family of an addict certainly didn't ask to ever be schooled on the on that. I wish so many families didn't have to learn about addiction through a member of their family having it. It's an unfortunate education to get. It
4: is, but it seems to be that the vast majority of people don't learn anything about addiction until, yeah. you know, right in-
3: Right
4: in
1: their own went. house. Totally okay. agree. Well, that's I totally really agree. Hard is be, to
4: deal with
3: Is that because they're in denial and they don't want to deal with it?
2: With parents, it's it's not my kid. My kid would never do that. And if they did it, it was somebody else's fault. So they need to stop hanging around those friends. And then when they stop hanging around those friends, guess what? The kid is still doing it, but it's still not the kid's fault. So we have to move the kid out of the state because it's obviously because they know the drugs in uh, Philadelphia are rampant. The heroin's rampant in Philadelphia, so let's send him to Florida. Oh, wait, there's heroin in Florida? Now let's go to Alaska. Let's find somewhere else because it's definitely not my kid's fault. <laughs> I've heard that so many times. It's, it's because he's friends with terrible people, Michelle. I said, yeah, I bet.
1: I bet. <laughs>
2: it's, if you're not willing to look at yourself, man, you've got big problems. It's going to be a problem if, you, if you're not willing to do it. But let me tell you, it's very hard work. You need to be an enormously strong person to battle addiction and battle remission and battle recovery. And a lot of people don't get credit for the amount of work they do put into it because it's very, very hard you're really diving into your past and future goals and how you're going to accomplish it. it it's it's tough it's tough
3: i went cold turkey in one in one in one day the first time i burnt my shirt with a seed from some weed i uh, just went cold turkey yeah shirts cost too
1: much. Did you like the shirt? $70. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, you like the shirt. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, burn, burn.
3: Hey look, and you got one of little seed, one of them little seed burns, you know, right in the middle of the shirt, way up high. I mean you really couldn't lie uh, you spilled food you couldn't spill food on it or something. No.
2: Definitely not. <clears throat> but anyway. I mean you could wear like a sweater wrapped around your shoulder to go like a bit preppy. But probably not the way to go. <laughs> I
3: mean, look, Michelle, but, but like you said, pe- people that know,
1: know. You know, people that yeah, know, course, they know. Like, oh, that looks like
2: a seed burn. Yeah,
1: it's a weed guy. You're a weed round.
3: guy, <laughs> a weed that's all yeah? It took for, hey, look, that's all it took for me, you know, it made me quit. I could well, afford I think
1: to that's wonderful. Yeah, i never there heard you anything go. like
3: that
4: in my whole life.
3: <laughs> you need to quit lying
4: <laughs> You are You need to quit lying oh Are you telling me that you have an addiction to how you look It's more important Than the addiction to this thing you were smoking Right Absolutely like uh, yeah, sounds like that way. Get, yeah there you go
3: What do you call that? Or you
2: could just not wear the expensive shirt
3: Oh no no no
4: That would never be uh, no,
3: yeah, that's, that's, no, that's, that's what I thought That's what I figured
4: wait, wait a minute
1: <laughs> oh boy,
4: oh, that would be terrible, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, you
4: could, you could just get an old ratty T-shirt and, and smoke in the T-shirt, right. and you know. No, no. See what No, you probably don't have an old ratty T-shirt. No. It's probably better I, I just to
3: not smoke the weed. <laughs>
4: yeah, that was that, that was easy.
3: You
1: can keep you keep know it, know it up. I mean? <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> but, see, now I heard a new rumor these days, because, see, I, I don't really know. I'm just telling, talking about stuff I, I read and hear about. I heard this new weed don't even have seeds.
2: Oh, really? No, like a hybrid, I guess. I have no idea. Yeah. I haven't done my research and development in a very long time.
4: No <laughs> No seeds. I- well, I, yeah, that no, doesn't make Lamont, much sense. The only place Lamont, the only place you're going to know what's in your weed is if you grow it in your backyard.
2: That's very, very true.
3: Yeah.
4: You, know, you can't do that in California yet, can you? You can't grow. Oh, most own. definitely.
3: Oh, most definitely.
2: I think Colorado as well.
3: <laughs> yeah, most definitely Wait, in California, boy. The marijuana business, the cannabis business, is booming out here.
4: <clears throat> So you can you can grow your own stuff out there. Yes, sir. Wow. You just can't sell it.
3: Well, you can if you don't get caught. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Oh, <laughs> 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 well, all,
3: all your listeners are going what to are you,
2: California now.
3: Yeah. What are you talking about on this yeah, show, man? We talking about yeah, recovery. Yeah, really.
1: Jeez. <laughs> oh lord. You about recovery and you talk about going into yeah, another right.
4: business.
1: Yeah, I'm seriously. just curious
4: about information. I'm not moving to California. I don't live there. I live in the great state of Florida.
3: If you don't have to be in California to invest in California.
4: Oh, now oh, my we got my a God. business proposition. <laughs>
3: oh well, This is
1: this is a switched switch topic for sure. <laughs>
3: M- yes. Michelle, excuse Matthew, but back. <laughs> let me ask you this: one. <laughs> I, I want to know. Re-
4: look,
3: I want to know how do you prevent relapse? I know changing <laughs> a person's um, environment that would be a mm-hmm. good thing. I know. I know that that's a no-brainer, but I guess the, the core. I guess the core meat of the issue that I'm still kind of like stuck on to is changing the individual's mindset. Right.
2: It's not going to matter, and I know like in a lot of AANA or well, the AEA kind of meetings, they say the first thing you should do is change people, places, things. Now you can have someone move from New York to Florida, and surprisingly if you want drugs – They have drugs everywhere, so it's not going to matter where you are, who you're with, who you're surrounded by, what job you have, anything. If you want to get drugs, you will get drugs. If you want to get alcohol, you're going to get alcohol. The idea is, it sounds weird, but it's completely internal. So you can place a client in any part of the world, and I promise the first person they come into contact with at like a gas station will be someone that will offer them drugs. It's almost there's like a radar that you, you know, there's, it's very strange. But if you don't surround yourself with people who are actively using drugs and you surround yourself with people that are, in, you know, in remission or in, so in recovery, then sometimes, you know, those people aren't – you're not going to attract those kind of people. But it is the person's individual choice and or the way they do their life is what it comes down to. Yes. I, th- I always <clears throat> say to my clients, N and O are the hardest words – to put together in any alphabet, put an N and O together, and those that is a very hard word to say when you actually want something to say yes. Very yeah.
3: hard. I agree. And I think the hardest thing for individuals to do to date is take responsibility for their own shortcomings. Totally agree.
2: Totally agree. But I also say to my clients, When you come in here, you're foggy-headed. When you leave here, you're clear-headed. So once you're clear-headed, if any of them ever pick up drugs again and or alcohol, that is always going to be a choice and always on you. If you pick up again with a clear head, that relapse is on you. What happens after is all bets are off. But every single one of my clients that do, do relapse, it was their choice to pick up. And that's where I sort of get them a little bit because they don't want it to be their choice. They had to because they have a disease. But no, no, no. With a clear head and you choose to pick up drugs, always going to be on you. And it sounds a bit harsh, but it's true.
1: No.
3: <clears throat> well, they say the truth hurts, so they just got to put their big that's, board the off. Yeah, you're on. right. This is true. Oh, and I'm uh, a we done,
2: pretty truthful person.
3: Uh sound like it, and that's, and that's a good thing because people, people – that really need help, that's the last thing they need is somebody else blowing smoke up their butt. They need somebody else. Yeah,
2: sugarcoating it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't sugarcoat things, that's for sure. Might just no, be like the New York mean. in me, though.
3: Well, Matthew, Matthew, we're down to the last couple of minutes what? of the show. Let's give Michelle. Yes. Excuse me? What? Um, <laughs> uh-huh. as, as I was saying, we down to the last couple minutes of the show. Let's give uh-huh. Michelle this opportunity to tell our listeners how she could be contacted.
2: Okay, so I got the call center number. Last time I was, I gave you guys my direct office line because I didn't know off the to cut, so that was not smart. Um, so the call center number is eight 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 nine eight six six one four two and. AAC has facilities all over the country. So basically, if Florida is not your your cup of tea, there's California and Texas and Vegas, and it's they have an enormous amount of facilities that have the highest quality professionals. I would I would go there myself. I think it's a fantastic agency.
1: That's
3: great, great. We definitely want to thank you again, uh, Michelle, for taking the time My out pleasure. to spend some Absolutely. time with us and. And enlightening us with some of these issues Thank you because A lot of us
4: <laughs> No, I think a lot it's of been us very, should. very information-rich And very down-to-earth, pragmatic, useful information And I hope anyone listening is going to Maybe listen to this more than once It's great information, Michelle Thank you so much for being with us
2: Oh, it's my pleasure, guys
3: Thank you, thank you, thank you To help remove this fog from uh, a lot of our eyes About this issue
4: Absolutely He's good, right. yeah fun
1: podcast.
3: yes. for those who like jo- yeah. joined us late, the show will be available worldwide in the next couple of minutes. Um you can always get it on worldmovement.com um our website and wherever you get your podcasts from, iTunes, um Spotify, um wherever you hear, wherever you get your stuff, it's available. And thanks again for joining us and Matthew and I will see you next week, same time. Absolutely, absolutely. Have a great weekend.
0: If you've been delaying that oil change, replacing those brake pads, or ignoring that check engine light, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and use your tax refund to take care of problems you've been putting off. Spend a little of your tax refund on your vehicle now and avoid costly repairs down the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day.
1: O'Reilly. Oh, 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 right.
0: A matchup. and what a team, Mike. Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS and an unlimited LTE plan and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax. Claim based on talking and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on the T-Mobile network are active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details in terms of conditions.
1: We deliver tickets, T-shirts, and everything you need to rock. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx. Delivery. Passion. What we deliver by delivering.
0: Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda guy. During this year's big game, we gave someone a random act of helpfulness. We crowned a person with the worst commute in SoCal and helped make her commute better with a brand new Honda. But it turns out lots of you have terrible commutes. Think you've got what it takes to be the worst? We want to hear from you. Go to SoCalHondaDealers.com slash Worst Commute and tell us all the boring and annoying details about your terrible drive to work. Who knows? Maybe you'll get a random act of helpfulness. Be crowned the new Worst Commute in SoCal.